Hello and welcome to a special Channel 33 podcast. My name is Sean Fennessy. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Ringer. I'm here in The Ringer Studios in Los Angeles, joined by two Ringer employees. Staff writer Michael Peters sitting beside me. Michael, what's up? Wagwan. And in New York, which is not Los Angeles, <laughs> Ringer staff writer Justin Charity. Justin, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we're here to talk about Kendrick Lamar. It's uh, K.Dot Day. His new album, Damn is now available on all streaming services and in stores where they sell CDs, which are few these days. (laughs) Justin, you wrote about Damn this morning on The Ringer, a really smart and good piece. Um, You know, I'll I'll open this conversation by telling a candid story. I really noticed Justin as a writer a few years ago when he wrote something that was very provocative and thoughtful about To Pimp a Butterfly, which is Kendrick's last official full-length record. And I was very curious the moment Damn hit to know what you thought of the record. So why don't you just distill that essence into podcast form right now, Justin? For sure. I mean, you know, when I was listening through the first couple times last night to Damn, the thought I kept having, no matter what song I was on, was uh, it, it wasn't even necessarily about Kendrick. It was about, like, the nature of rapping and how all of the flows and all of the different song structures on Damn really underscore the idea that rapping requires like muscular definition and it's just like the rapping is so muscular all over the album and Kendrick is doing so many different things and his his rapping is incredibly well toned and varied and physical and sort of like inexhaustible Um, and you know I'm I'm cautious I'm cautious about saying that in a way that makes it sound like the album is just rapidy rap because there's a there's a certain like I think stigma of thinking about you know lyricism versus non lyricism in contemporary rap music. But is Kendrick the um, new Supernatural? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I want I you know I mean I think I think musically the, the album is is gorgeous in a lot of different spots, but. I've just never really appreciated Kendrick as a as a rapper in just a pure athletic sense as much as I do on on Damn so far. Yeah, that was the word that I was going to point out that you used was athletic, which I think could be used as a pejorative in some ways because it's just about flexing. It's just about showing what you're capable of as opposed to this thing we think about with Kendrick, which is that he is a um, he's a person with a point of view. He's a person with a point and. Um, Mikey, like, do you feel like there's something lost on this album in him being so fervent and so like alive and so athletic? No, I think that well, the issue with like "To Pimp a Butterfly," I think, was that there was there were so many competing things uh, in, I mean, a literal and a thematic sense. Like, I mean, a cosmetic and a thematic sense. Like, you have gelatinous G funk. You have uh, like every sound from Cape Town to Compton and just this sprawling like meditation on race from every every perspective you can think of. It's so dense that you can't you don't know what to do with it. You didn't know what to do with it immediately after it came out. A lot of Kamasi Washington. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I think here at least a lot of things are pe- like a lot of things are peeled back. It's still very layered and very complex, but 
I think that, I mean, like it's simplicity is, well, not even simplicity, um, but even just being more simple than To Pimp Butterfly was, I think makes it stand out more, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and on top of that, I mean, like there's a lot of the things that were missing on the last album, like DNA. Like the first, the first like really rapidy rap rap song on the album is you know like produced by Mike Will made it. Uh, if you had com- uh, if you had complaints about how All Right was the only record on the last album that had you know actual a bass line and drums to it, like he's just like all right, here's some bass for your ass, here's some raps for your ass, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I mean to be sure, the beat switch that happens with like about a minute and a half left, I'd literally crawled up into my desk chair to get away from it. It was so grotesque. It was great. Um, <laughs> that seems like a very purposeful choice by him, right? If you look at the album cover, if you look at the humble video, if you look at all the things he's communicating about this album, it it is very much in some ways either a companion or a defiance of the last couple of projects, which are much more vibey, much more emotional, much more social in a way. And yeah. this is a this is a ver- this is a fuck you in a lot of ways. Is that would you agree with that, Justin? Well, can I? I, I would actually say I know that. Mike could just use the word simpler. I would maybe alternatively suggest that this is a more seamless album. That's a better word Butterfly. for it. Yeah. Because to me, it's like, I mean, this is still a record, right, where on the one hand you have a U2 song, and on the other hand you have a Mike Will Made It produced crunk record, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, there's still a lot of... The U2 song is also know. Mike Will produced. Yeah, right. Well, it's, right. <laughs> and it <laughs> works fantastically. <laughs> but it's, but it's, I mean, he still has his hand across a lot of different dimensions on this album in the way that he also had his hand across multiple dimensions on the last couple of projects. But I think the difference is that this is the first time where that sort of uh, variation and experimentation feels like Kendrick sort of rode the wave from start to finish without really falling off or even wobbling. Whereas, like, I think something like To Pimp a Butterfly gets a bit over... Like, there are songs on To Pimp a Butterfly where, you know, I think this drink is too strong. Mm -hmm. It's too strong for Kendrick Lamar. He's a great rapper. These songs are great. But he's kind of... You know, think of the key changes on To Pimp a Butterfly, which are much more jarring and abrupt, whereas there are key changes all over this you know, they're basically whole song overhauls in the middle of songs on this album. But they just feel more seamless because it just feels like Kendrick, again, on the strength of that athleticism, it feels like he's just in control. Like, you know he's the star of this record in a way that was maybe harder for that to come across when he was doing these very big George Clinton, Pharrell, Kamazi Washington records. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of the collaborators and guests on this album because... It felt like Kendrick was working with an orchestra on the last record, but also performing a one-man show. It kind of seemed like he was just kind of screaming into the void a lot of times, um, even just the way that his vo- his voice is treated on that record. This one, I'd say the choices are more commercial, um, if you count Mike Will and Rihanna and Bono as commercial uh, companions. But by the same token, you know, Soundwave is kind of up and down on every song as a longtime producer. A lot of the TDE in-house guys are working. Um, and then, you know, also James Blake, I would not describe as the most commercial collaborator, and he has a production credit here. 
Um, Michael, what do you think about the choices that he made and who he chose to connect with? I think that like uh, to Pim Butterfly was like a product of a like a certain community. Uh, like I mean, like that was Terrace Martin, Thundercat, Anna Wise. All those were like very uh, like they were basically picked from a very specific place. Um, and even though he picks from a bunch of disparate places on this record, it it fits more together because it seems like it's the choices that he wanted to make versus being slave to, I guess, the idea that he started with. This is like changing it as he goes along. Now I'm going to pull in Bad Bad Not Good or Steve Lacey or uh, a DJ Dahi record, so on and so forth. Um, I think that the choices he makes, I mean, we've already said it before, like they work so much better. Um, so and on top of that, I'm just really happy to see like any, I'm always happy to see Steve Lacey like get work on like. So ex- explain for listeners who Steve Lacey is. He's an interesting story. Steve Lacey is a, he might, is he 18 now or is he 17? I'm pretty sure he's 17. Anyway, like he's like of senior and high school age. Uh, he was, he is the guitarist for the internet, um, which is a band uh, fronted by Sid, um, who also put out an album this year called Finn. Fa, if you want to be extremely like you know technical about en it, français. yeah. Um, but they all put out a bunch of solo projects. Uh, Matt Martians, who is the producer, put out Drum Chord Theory. Um, Steve Lacey put out Steve Lacey's demo which is fantastic. There's a song on there. There's a like a, a couplet that's that goes from there's a song called Ride into Dark Red or and that is probably like 10 of my favorite m- minutes of music like released so far <laughs> this year. Um like I mean anyway, he's getting more he's getting more and more work and I like I like to see it happening because I his his sound is so interesting. And yeah, he he does a lot of his production on his iPhone. Yeah, he's he a very um, song on his he, iPhone. He kind of feels like when I read about him, he strikes me as like a bad cliche of like what dumb parents think millennials are, like skateboarding kids who just like use their phone to make shit. And in a lot of ways, he does it, but in a very beautiful way. Like the texture and the tone yeah. of his music is really amazing. Even though there's an interesting story in Wired this morning about how he just kind of uses a cracked iPhone. 5S, shout out to Drake, and uh, just like plugs it into an amp, and that's how he produces songs yeah. for Kendrick Lamar. There's something <laughs> kind of beautiful about that. Um, Justin, what do you think about, uh, for example, the flex of bringing um, Bono into the Kendrick Lamar universe? I mean, that's what Kendrick, I just feel like that's what Kendrick does, right? I mean, if there is a, from section 80 on, right, it's, I feel like Kendrick, and I talk about this in the piece that I wrote for The Ringer um, today, but if so, Friday. Um, but, you know, I feel like his albums are different enough from one another, and they have different ambitions. And it's weird, too, because he uses a lot of the same musicians across these albums, but sort of soundscapes feel very different from one another. Um, and also the concepts feel very different from one another. And so. I don't I don't just look at Bono being on this album as a flex. I also look at it as Kendrick, you know, sort of reaching for this idea of what's next? What's the thing that I haven't done that people think you can't do on a quintessential 
you know, Compton rap album, but that I can I can pull off and that my producers can help me pull off in a way that feels totally hip hop. <laughs> and he totally pulled it off. It feels like you know, I there are a lot of things you could have thought that a U two record or a U two collaboration on this album would have sounded like. Um, and Hon- it sounds Hon- way cooler than all of those things. Honest question for both of you guys. If you didn't see the track list and the song was played for you blind, do you think you would have been able to pick out that it's Bono? I would not have. I wouldn't have been able to do it. I don't think so. I played this game with my wife last night and she failed too, which is an interesting thing to let Bono, who has one of the most iconic voices and personas in the last 50 years of music, be subsumed by the Kendrick vision. You know, that's pretty uncommon for someone that famous, um, and even uh, you know, even this morning we were talking about Rihanna's work on the album and the fact that she is sort of more of a partner and less of a tool. I feel like a lot of times when Rihanna collaborates with people, they try to use her as a very obvious commodifying. You're going to yeah. appear in my video participant, um, and this is this is a little different. She's much more elemental to the song. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. it, it's. I think that it's. Uh, her collaborations with like TD artists have been very like outside of her purview. Like, I mean, in, in a good way, uh, like the consideration record with SZA was, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd never heard her over production like that before. Um, and I, I mean, like, and then here she's rapping, like she has bars, <laughs> like it's actually like, <laughs> and it, like, and it works, it works, it works. So it works beautifully. Um, so yeah, I mean, like it's, but I mean, going back to the Bono thing, uh, a thing that I thought was interesting was uh, how Kendrick kind of okay. So initially, when I was thinking about it, I was just like, all right, this is, um, like the logical progression after Untitled Unmastered, where it felt like when you were watching those performances, he was like the reincarnation of James Brown. But really, it's more of like a Curtis Mayfield type deal. And there's a lot of like callbacks to 70s soul and even to classic rock, and which is where like Bono comes in, but distorts it in a way that is kind of like, um, I guess, cherry picking things that happened during that period, like the uh, hidden messages like of like the fabled hidden messages of Satanism in heavy rock ballads, which is like at the beginning of fear when it has the reverse vocals. Mm-hmm. What That's like the Paul is dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, it's just, it's a interesting, I guess, school of thought and like music and all of it put into like one, like this vessel and it works seamlessly. Like you were saying before charity. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a, a good point. Charity. What do you think? I mean, I well, one, I, I certainly agree with with Mayfield as the comparison over Brown, if only because I've already argued for this website that Young Thug is the reincarnation <laughs> of James Brown. Um, this is know, why I we're mean, going to be friends forever, by the way. <laughs> I mean, look, I think a lot of I think a lot of you know on a song to song basis, I don't think this, but whenever I listen to Kendrick albums now, I I just get the sense that I'm listening listening to neo black exploitation soundtracks in a lot of way in a lot of ways right and like a lot of this you know a lot of this 70s sense that he seems to gravitate toward both i think in terms of sounds and even in terms of 
sort of um, these heightened comedic personas that he gravitates toward on the albums and the skits and in the music. Um, you know, I, that's I, that's sort of the, the the era of black music and black art that I think of the most. I think of like Trouble Man and and Short Eyes. I, I think of a lot of music like that. I guess specifically. So that's a very interesting prism to see him through because there is he's always identified as a sort of a classicist when it comes to rapping. Like when it comes to rapidy rap rapping, old heads can be like <laughs> Kendrick can go. Like he's he is one of the chosen few. Yeah. But it's interesting that somebody whose point of view and whose interests and whose style that it permeates the music could be identified as a continuum of 70s artists. You know, usually that doesn't work very well in rap. There's not when you're yeah. looking backward is not necessarily um it's not necessarily prized. Why do you think that for whatever reason Kendrick has the uh, is identified as the future of the form instead of the past? I think Kendrick's kind of like D'Angelo, right? Which is to say that D'Angelo is an artist, right? He's an R&B singer who clearly is like, I mean, he's basically like an, a black music historian. If mm-hmm. you ever read interviews with D'Angelo, he's just clearly fascinated by the entire history of black American music and black music across the world and can tell you about any decade of black music ever. He would have made a and great blogger. He would have made a great, you've been a very helpful blogger, very great. Strong wiki very, editor. Great, right, exactly. But I think of, I think, you know, I guess there are certain artists who, if they sort of, um, if they sort of associate with like the greatness of rap of the past, they do it in a very specific Um, in a very narrow way, whereas Kendrick, it just seems like he has a regard for the past that isn't necessarily at the expense of um, hip-hop's present, right? Like, there are those videos of, I think, one of the times when maybe Lil Wayne was rushed to the hospital um, for the various medical complications that Lil Wayne has suffered in life, where like Lil Wayne had uploaded, I mean, uh, where Kendrick had uploaded a video of him rapping, like just bar for bar rapping Lil Wayne mixtape cuts and just being a fan of Lil Wayne. And to me, that's the that's the great generational sort of intersection in Kendrick Lamar is that as much as people would say, you know, he is he's the last guy who's continuous with Chuck D or even with someone like Eminem. It's like, yeah, that's true. But Kendrick is also a guy who clearly idolizes little Wayne. Who's a guy that a lot of maybe purists or reactionaries or whatever you'd want to call them, you know, probably still loathe to this, to this day. Well, um, I mean like Kendrick started, like it wasn't, it get me like Kendrick is, I guess, was I mean like the product of an age where I mean like you this is you were born in the internet age and you started like you didn't start with rappers from necessarily rappers from Compton like he was infatuated with Lil Wayne first and then and then realized and then learned about DJ Quick etc afterward right he was like 17 when the drought 2 came out yeah yeah I mean like and man when the like the when the drought 2 came out it was it was like you know it, it was what it was but what I'm saying is that to go back to your being considered what was the question again it was like being considered part of the future of the yeah rather than the past i think because a lot of his instincts and a lot of his um even a lot of his associations that justin is kind of shaving towards 
are about his sort of historical affectations that permeate his music. But people identify him, I think, in a lot of ways as the future of the genre. You know, I think Thug gets that delineation. Drake gets that delineation. There's a handful of people who people say, well, like, this guy is changing the art form or this woman is changing the art form in a specific direction. And he is always lumped in with that group, even though he's a formalist in some ways and he has a real... He has that D'Angelo-esque knowledge of history. So how does he manage to, you know, supersede the the past and, and be a part of the future? Yeah, I think that, yeah, that uh, Charity had it basically right, where it's kind of talking about not necessarily a narrow homage. It's more like, say, pick any director, like James Gray, like picking out this 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 aesthetic and this aesthetic and that thing, like, starting your album with a kind of spoken word uh, story, um, much like the Shy Lights or having, or at the beginning of uh, uh, Don't Worry If There's a Hell Below, We're All Gonna Go. And you have like the lady talking about, you know, I was reading the Bible the, the other day and this will solve all of my problems. Right, those are conscious choices to reflect those things. Exactly, but taking it and making it his own and like, being like this is my worldview um and of course it's informed by all the things that i've experienced but also all the things that i've consumed but here is like we just like the product that comes out of it i guess um but i also i also think that like and and it's easy to lose sight of a particular thing because maybe the you know I think uh, the past 10 years or so, the prominence of, like, original production. But I think that this is ideally what rap does, right? Like, the best rappers are people who, at the end of the day, are taking old black music and remaking it and making it sound like stuff you've never heard in your life, right? Like, that's, I mean you know just from from the idea of what sampling is right it's it's not these aren't just rappers being really good at rapping it's taking like old James Brown records and old Curtis Mayfield records and reconstituting them and sort of radically reimagining them and i just think that Kendrick you know i mean K- Kendrick is one of the the last guys um sort of out now who uh well i won't say last guys but it's you know I, a lot of people rap over trap beats and those are all sort of like original compositions for the most part. And Kendrick just, I think his links to the past stand out more just because he tends to rap over samples more than the average rapper these days. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think he makes good use of (laughs) those samples and I think he just has really good taste in them. And so I think that's maybe why we associate him, you know, that's why we think of him through those historical lenses. It's just because his taste really um his his taste underscores his choices with the glaring exception of that really large shitty obvious cynical isley brothers sample on the last album i could make the case that imagine dragons was a poor choice in that respect too i mean so was maroon five and you know he's not impervious and taylor swift and and this that's a good segue actually to uh, taylor swift i'd forgotten about that That yeah i'll never let anyone forget about that shame on you kendrick um but but (laughs) but, you know you know you make a couple of notable points in your piece and in this conversation justin one is that 
so much of modern rap just sounds like people listening to Atlanta and trying to iterate on Atlanta. And you almost never feel that way with Kendrick, even when he works with someone like Mike Will, who is identified in that in that moment. But also, you mentioned earlier that there's this expectation that Kendrick is a sequel to Chuck D when, in fact, he's someone very different. I'm curious, you know, what you guys think the expectation and responsibility of somebody like Kendrick is, especially given the way that he positioned himself and was then ultimately positioned after To Pimp a Butterfly as a powerful voice, a voice of defiance. And then even after The Hard Part 4 came out um, a couple of weeks ago, a song that very openly talked about the president, talked about the sort of the state of the country, the police. Do you feel that he has to do something on this record to address that in a formal way? Or is is he free to operate in his own creative space? I think that if you're trying to be the voice from the mountaintop, inevitably it's going to be exhausting. Like, so you would much, or I personally would rather somebody's personal view on a thing and appreciating what they don't know and, you know, going only so far as, you know, they themselves understand Mm -hmm. rather than having it be some formal thing like, this is what we should like, nobody should be going to a musical artist for answers I mean like that's a tall ask but at the same time he does exi- like he is the I mean the preeminent voice in that sphere of like conscious quote unquote rap music so but to answer your question no I don't think there's any need to like formally address it like to lay it out uh, like A B C D Justin what do you think I've, I think that since The Blacker the Berry, which was, you know, a single from To Pimp a Butterfly, so a song that's a couple years old now, you know, that was a song where Kendrick was being very sort of programmatic and explicit and being like, this is the song where I talk about political circumstances. <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, he tried, he, he added a layer of sort of like, um, so you know, self doubt and self criticism, and sort of oh, but at the end of the day, what about black on black crime? That I think a lot of us critics and a lot of us fans and observers generally sort of ran away with, right? And sort of said, well, who is he speaking for here? What exactly is he saying? And I think ever since that song, and ever since the sort of um, I think somewhat unkind uh, evaluation of what Kendrick was getting at on that song, I've I've basically thought that Kendrick is probably going to shove away from being that person who seems like he is at any point ever trying to speak for other people. And so I really don't think he... Like, I don't think he should be the guy that we sort of... Whenever we hear even a whiff of Kendrick Lamar music, we're like, okay, what is he going to say about Donald Trump this time? Like, I think Kendrick is probably actually allergic to to that level of political engagement in his music. I think, but going back to the egregious choices of features, uh, he's or the features that he's given away, I think that that went a long way towards earning this level of like this this readers removed from uh i guess everything that's going the the current political climate etc 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 you know post black or the berry i think that 
I mean, you don't. I, I think that it, it it becomes more understandable, like this whole you know not being an authoritative voice about this thing. Uh, is a view is a I guess a point of view that works because of like the. <laughs> Because of appearing like on that Maroon Five song where it was like the marimba ringtone or whatever, I can't even remember what it was. That ruined my weekend. Oh my god! I've never listened to that song and I won't. Um, but it, it is a—it's not a pressing question necessarily. It reminded me a little bit of the moment I think it was last year when Schoolboy Q was about to release Blank Face and he released a what turned out to be stunt album cover. That was like the blank face iconography with Donald Trump's face on it. Mm-hmm. It was around the same time that FD did YG released FDT, and it was unclear kind of what the relationship between rap and the president to be would become. And it, it almost had like kind of a sneering, um, very public facing defiance. And but I think both of you guys are right. You know, Kendrick is such a personal artist and is operating from such a specific point of view that. It it would actually seem awkward, I think, if he tried to take up a full time mantle doing this work. But the, the you know the level of expectation that comes with that is complicated. I guess musically, what do you guys expect from him at this point? Do you expect him to like if there is a second record on Sunday? Is there something that isn't on the album that came out today uh, that you want to hear in it that you need to feel in it? Hmm. <laughs> Charity, you want to go first? <laughs> Uh, sure, but my answer is no. I mean, I, that's, I mean, you know, it's like Kendrick. I just, I, I like Kendrick's sort of what seems to be his grand design, which is I made the thing. The next thing I do is not going to be the last thing you heard. It's not going to, it's just going to be different. And you're not really going to have anticipated very much of it. You know, I, I like that. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's very difficult to follow up. I mean, it's difficult to follow up, like, uh, I guess, the the brass ring, so to speak. I mean, like, it's very difficult to follow up something so good with something else and have it be, you know, like, having those two things appear that close together. That I don't know what the next album would sound like, but I know that I don't want it to be this close. Like... <laughs> I haven't finished thinking about this one yet. Like there's too, there's still too many things to unpack. One thing that I couldn't help but think about is um, how Kendrick's peers regard him. Um, when I wrote about the hard part four, I was thinking about um, the control remix verse and how openly he defied people that were in his orbit. And now I sort of think of the opposite, which is sort of when when he's not talking about his peers, how they must feel about either not being talked about or even just being blown by in a lot of ways. I, I always think of Big Sean because Big Sean is like my stand-in for whack present rapper. Um, <laughs> but what do you guys think? You know, if you're if you're J. Cole, do you think J. Cole goes home and listens to to this to Damn and says, like, I gotta do better? I would think that I mean, I don't know. I guess they have that collaborative album in the works. I have no idea why you would want to get washed on every song. But only, only Tate Frazier wants that. Yeah, only Tate wants that. But, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, J. Cole, I, I guess, would be like Kendrick's notional peer in this sphere of like heady, um, 
world conscious, weary rap music. But I mean, like there is Kendrick and then there's 50 feet of space and then there's J. Cole, like in this in this sphere. I don't think that uh, I, I think that J. Cole appreciates a Kendrick album just like the rest of us do. Yeah, I was also going to I would also say that I think all of these rappers, you know, go home and listen to other rappers and think or, other, you know, other rappers that are in that stratosphere and and think I need to do better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're artists. I think all, I think various kinds of artists are insecure in that way. I just think the difference with J. Cole is that J. Cole is probably never going to make something as <laughs> captivating as Damn or Remember Butterfly or Good Kid Mad City or Untitled Unmastered even. Yeah. I mean like, yeah, to be, yeah, to Harping, piggybacking off of that point of like I think rappers listen to other rappers music and with the exception of Lil Wayne who only rides to himself because he don't fuck with nothing um, I think of other people that are not just in it clearly peers in, in the notional sense that you're describing but like does Quavo listen to Kendrick and think he has to respond to it in some way does no. Chance listen to Kendrick does Nicki listen to Kendrick and think I have to be I, I think have to rise There's there is a there's a gulf between rappers like Kendrick and Qu- Quavo exists on the other side of whatever that wall is. And like, I don't want any conscious <laughs> like Migos stuff. Like their entire draw is how carefree they are. I don't, I don't think that's in the offing. So yeah. I, I disagree. So, I actually disagree with this entirely. I did. Well, just specifically with Quavo. Uh, one of my favorite things about the Migos is the, <laughs> the ill-fated um, Migos debut album, uh, which came out before the album that they released um, a few months ago. Why are like, Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about that album, and there are clues all over like Migos songs, including Fight Night, but that album really has like the clearest sense of like, I don't know, there are a couple songs on, on that album where they're doing like, Easy E <laughs> covers songs basically. Oh yeah, it was Highway 85. I totally believe. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally believe that. Um, you know, as much as I think the Migos might get painted as like across a fence from the J. Coles and the Kendricks of the world, I actually think that Quavo and Takeoff and you know and Offset probably are like do have a voracious appetite for that kind of music and they probably are listening to the Kendrick album oh no I mean like like, damn man they eating rap snacks and listening to (laughs) 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 damn I'm not saying that they that they don't listen to it I'm just saying that like the kind of music that like I'm not saying I'm saying that it doesn't power them forward to make like I'm gonna go make my like damn or depend butterfly or whatever I think that but imagine Imagine Migos as if there's a hell below. That's kind of the way I think it would be interesting to position it, you know, to put yourself in yeah. the mind frame of what informs Kendrick's work to see. Because, you know, that's not... I think Lil Wayne certainly informs Migos' work, but yeah. is there? does it go before that? Maybe it does. I don't know. I mean, like, that's that's a difficult... I have no idea what that would sound like. Uh, <laughs> we'll probably never find out. I mean, yeah, I like I would I prefer them to be emblematic rather than to have them be like demonstrative or in in that sense. I, I guess think that's well put. Okay, yeah. let's do something to wrap this up, which is just irresponsibly ranking uh, the Kendrick Lamar albums. Oh God, <laughs> Justin, what what is your uh, order of preference given that you've had 
approximately 11 hours to listen to damn I don't know. I mean, this is a difficult question. Hold on. Okay, we're ranking. Um, I, I still like To Pump a Butterfly better than this. Um, I mean, To Pump a Butterfly has the best Kendrick Lamar song on it, and that's sort of the trump card that album has. But uh, maybe third. Damn maybe sits third. at third, and Good Kid at second. Yeah. Yeah. Are you factoring in Section 80 and Overly Dedicated? I am. Four and five. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Micah? I would say that The Pimp Butterfly is probably still number one. Um, I think that, yeah, Dan probably does come in third, but it's probably going to move up somewhere like in the vicinity of second very soon that, i had the exact same thought if, if i did, i would have the same order but i feel like damn over the course of the weekend could quickly climb into number two yeah i think that it, like because to pimp butterfly just like holds a very special place in time for your boy i think that like I, but i think that dan would probably be will end up being second by the end of the weekend after i've played it 500 times i think that um I'm curious what both of you guys think about this. Tabimba Butterfly right now, the way that it's understood in the world is, I think, the same way that Illmatic or like Led Zeppelin Four is understood, which is like, this is the person's iconic record. Do you think that that will be true five years from now, that Tabimba Butterfly will still be the standing achievement for Kendrick? I don't. I don't know. You I... think there's something coming, Justin? Uh... I don't know that it's either something coming or it's just that, like, I think that I understand the sort of reception to that album and the first year of its existence. But I also think that that album has a lot of that album just has such large themes and um, like the things that I think are imperfect about that album, I think, are things that, yeah, the more time you spend with it, the more time you sort of realize that like it's a sort of perfectly imperfect thing and in ways that I don't think of other albums that I would sort of put in that echelon like I don't listen to Illmatic and think oh this is an awkward song you know what I mean an awkward song to be here like I don't have a ton of exceptions and asterisks for Illmatic Um, it's just an album that I listen to and I'm like no this is exactly or like the infamous the infamous is sort of my my like favorite rap album and it's like they, I don't listen to that album and, and think this is like a perfect rap album except for X, Y, and Z and it has these themes but it works anyway um, but that's very much how I think of To Bubba Butterfly yeah I think it's very fair to say that it's pretty coarsely ground uh, but I mean also it just made me so proud to be black man <laughs> such a black album <laughs> Like, and it was probably one of the, it was just like one of the craziest things I'd heard like in a long time and probably will be for some time afterward. I don't know that it'll remain like, I don't think that we'll think of it as, I don't know. I think it's possible. I I wouldn't say, I can't say definitively one way or the other because I mean, I don't know. Uh, It's, I feel like I've, I haven't even completely two years hence haven't even you know really decided what I for sure think about the album 
And yet here we are deciding what we think for sure about Dam, which is less than a day old. Justin Charity, Micah Peters, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Sean. Go cop, Dam. Thanks, guys. Oh! 